Hey, welcome to Gospel Community Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening in. We hope that uh, you enjoy what you hear and that we handle the word faithfully. We'd invite you, if you have any questions or want to attend a service, to visit www.gcctroy.com. I'm thankful to be in this place. This is a beautiful spot you guys got. Um, Again, my name is Marco Rankin, and uh, we've known the Bradshaws for about five or six years. When we first got to Grace, um, we were just coming into Grace, uh, Greenville Grace, if you don't know, and Jody and Jason were attending. But right when we got there, there was all of a sudden this, this mass exodus of folks. And I'm like, dude, I just got here, man. Where are you guys going? Uh, but Jason and Jody were going to plant this church. And wow, it has grown exponentially. Um, the things you guys are doing here, it's evident the Lord is blessing you and he's blessing this church. And he's blessing Jason and Jody as, as uh, ushers of, of the word. Um, and I, I love the coffee bar. I love the new sign out there. And I love the logo and the woodwork. It's, it's straight up beautiful. And I'm so thankful to be here. Um, today's my 45th birthday. And what a, what a way to usher in the word of the Lord, but on my birthday. And I, and I wouldn't want to do anything different. Um, I'm here with my, my wife and my family. Uh, Lisa's my wife. I have uh, four beautiful kids, Rosie, Naomi, Annika, and Marco. And my mom decided to, to come from Indianapolis today to, to, to help her brother out. So uh, to show moral support or to yank me off the stage if I say something incorrect. But I'm so thankful you guys have given me this, this chance to come here and preach to you guys. Um, Lisa and I are looking to plant a church in Richmond, Indiana. Um, that's where we are located now, um, and the plant is going to come out of Greenville Grace. So Gospel Community came out of Greenville Grace, and so now they're looking for a, a second plant, and it's going to be the Richmond plant. And so we got a name, um, Redemption Hill Church, Redemption Hill Church, but we don't know when we're going to plant. We got a lot of things going on in the family uh, with four kids. You guys already know a brother is tired, so um, be praying for us as we look to launch hopefully soon, but we're not putting, we're not putting a date or a time on it. So that's how you could be praying with us. Um, thank you, Jason, for reading the word and may the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Um, again, my name is Marco Rankin. And before we dive in, I'm going to give you a little bit of background of what has happened in first Corinthians chapter one, two. And as we get into to chapter three, um, in chapter one, Paul receives this letter from Chloe. We don't have any Chloe's in here, right? Okay, just want to make sure. But she received this letter from Chloe, um, from Chloe's people. Paul receives a letter from Chloe's people. Now, we don't know who Chloe is, but we do know that Chloe is a businesswoman, right? She has several businesses quite possibly scattered all around the area. She might have one in Ephesus, where Paul is at, at this time. She might have one in the city of Corinth. But what's happening is Chloe's people, they could be her, her workers who work her businesses. We don't know. But what we do know is they send a letter to Paul. And they're basically saying, man, Paul, the church you planted 18 months ago is wilding out. They're doing all kinds of stuff. They're, they're, they're starting to, to break into little camps. Right? They're starting to form their own little tribes and say, I follow this guy, I follow that guy. There's sexual immorality. There's a dude who is sleeping with either his stepmother or his mother. Uh, the things they used to do before they were saved, they're starting to dip back into. You got to do something, Paul. And so Paul writes this letter to the church that he planted and shepherded for 18 months. He says, first, he starts out the whole letter by saying he's thankful for them, right? He doesn't like come out and like, rawr, you're doing this, you're doing that. He comes out and says, look, look, I'm thankful to God for graciously giving you these spiritual gifts, uh, especially in speech and knowledge. See, one big thing about the Corinthian culture is we're here, we have like America's Got Talent or uh, Dancing with the Stars, right? In the city of Corinth, if you could speak well, if you had the gift of oratory, right? You were like basically 
the, the rock star. You were that, that million dollar basketball player if you had a good mouthpiece on you, right? And so he, Paul is saying, he thanks the Lord for graciously giving them that gift of speech, right? right? And of knowledge because the Greeks were all about wisdom. Um, but then he quickly moves to the issue at hand. They started, right, attaching themselves to pastors. They, some of them were saying, I follow after Paul, who wrote the letter. And the others were saying, I follow after Apollos, who was another pastor. And then some were saying, I follow after Cephas. Now, who is Cephas? Cephas is Peter, right, on, on this rock I will build my church. That's Peter. And so because they've allowed um, themselves to get drawn in to what I call this tribalism, and then they started to get jealous over each one of them um, who were putting their faith and trust in these human leaders. So Paul calls them out on it in chapter three. He basically calls them immature people, right? Babies in the faith. He says, instead of giving you the meat of the gospel, we got to take it all the way back and give you milk because you guys aren't mature in the faith. Okay. And so chapters uh, 3, verses 10 through 15, he talks about leading up to what I'm about to talk to you about is uh, the body of Christ, the building upon the foundation that Jesus has already laid as the chief cornerstone. And so how are we to build, right? You guys have built this church. It's beautiful. There are things you are doing as, as fellow co-heirs and workers of Jesus, but how are we to build, right? We build by planting gospel seed. We build by harvesting that seed and then nurturing that seed once it comes into maturity. See, we are all co-laborers in this thing, right? Each one of us um, have, has gifts and talents that the Lord has given us to work the field. And we will have to give an answer someday to the Lord for, the, for either the building up of his kingdom or the tearing down of his church. And so throughout these passages, Paul is going to press in to a couple of overarching themes. He's going to talk about church unity, church unity, and then Christian identity. Let's see, the Corinthians are no different than us. Like they struggle to fully comprehend who they are in Christ because they came from a world of debauchery. We've come from, some of us used to do things too, right? No, nobody gonna raise their hand on that. We used to do things. We, <laughs> we used to do things too. We were always saved. And so we, we run into this, 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 this hard place where if we don't know who we are now in Jesus, we have this one foot in the kingdom of God, and then we have this other foot in the kingdom of the world, right? And so there's a war of, and I call it two gospels, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ, and then this other gospel that the world is like writing as we speak. Like whatever laws, whatever things they do, however, whatever comes to mind, it is a continual open book being written as we speak. And so if you got one foot here, another foot there, man, your gospel is going to be convoluted and you're going to end up confused. So what's going to happen? You're either going to do one of three things. You're going to either go all in on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to either go all in on the gospel of the world, but you're going to do what most of us do is we have like a, a hybrid, a hybrid of the two, right? We kind of mix things together. We got the gospel. We got like this man-made gospel where things are still being shaped and formed. And we kind of like roll it all together. And man, that's so confusing because now we don't know what truth is. We don't understand what really um, um is the law and the way of the Lord. We kind of mixed it all together. And so this is very serious for us. And that's why we always have to continually be looking at our hearts. 
We got to continually be examining ourselves, right? To find where we're sinning, to find where we're, 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 we're mixing the gospel. And as the title says, get that junk out the temple. Get that junk out the temple, right? It's, it's a work that, that, that Christ can definitely do, right? But there is a part where you have to discern what is truth, what is not, whatever it is not that doesn't need to be there, get that junk out the temple. So in verses 16 through 23, Paul points out four things that I think you should pay attention to. And you can write it down if you want. It should already be up there. Um, but because we belong to Christ, that's our new identity because we belong to Christ. Verse 16, you're going to see that we received this legacy, right? We received this legacy in the, the person, the third person of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, we received protection as children of God. Verses 18 through 20, we receive wisdom, right? We got the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. There is a download of information the Lord is trying to get to you, right? There is both communicable attributes and incommunicable attributes. A little nerdery going on there, pastor nerdery. But the incommunicable attributes are things you cannot do that God can do, right? You can't speak things into existence and they happen. But the communicable attributes are the things he shares with his creation, right? God is, God is, is gracious and merciful. Therefore, you are to be gracious and merciful. God is long-suffering and patient. Therefore, he shares that with us and invites us to enter into that as we relate to one another. Amen? Amen. So the, the fourth one is we receive possessions, verses 21 through 23, as God's heirs. Okay? So how do we, how do we convince other Christians of this rich legacy that we have in Jesus Christ? Man, we got to tell them over and over again if necessary. Okay? He starts out, Paul opens up in verse 16, asking the church that he planted, do you not know? Now, see, Paul's being a little facetious here and a little sarcastic, but I, I look at it a little bit different because Paul has been, he's been serving in the Corinthian church for 18 months. He's been preaching and teaching and serving, right? He's been uncovering the gospels for the Corinthian church, but then Paul moves on. He goes to Ephesus, and then guess who comes along? Apollos. Apollos comes along, and what is Apollos doing? The very same thing. They're duplicating the very same thing. He's teaching and he's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul in verse 16 basically say, man, I've already told you who you are in Jesus Christ. And I know my brother Apollos, when he came, he reminded you of the same thing. But because you're allowing discord to sweep in to the church, let me remind you one more time. Let me remind you one more time. Man, and we can familiarize with that, can't we? Like, you got, you got kids. Like, we're constantly reminding our kids of who they are. And it's tiring, isn't it? Like, sometimes Lisa and I will pray with the kids before they go off to school. And before they, they, they leave... Right? We remind them of who, you are, who they are in Christ. We're, we're constantly saying, you is smart, you is kind, you is important. Right? And when they leave the door, right, they're energetic. They have this, this glimmer in their eyes. They're ready to tackle the day. Right? Nothing can stop them. But when they come home, man, that little twinkle in the eye, <laughs> no longer there. They're defeated. They're downcast. Why? Man, we live in a cruel world, and kids can be very, very cruel. And I just want to take them by the face and look straight in their eyes and say, just like Paul was saying, man, do you not know who you are in Christ? Do you not know if you just knew who you got behind you, you wouldn't feel this way? But so we got to continually explain and tell, even when it gets tiring. We got we to pour into our kids and remind them of, don't you know 
who you are. So Paul is looking at the Corinthian church. He's saying this. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that God's spirit dwells in you? This place is an auditorium. It's not the temple. Okay? It's, a, it's a place where we come to worship. You are the temple. Okay? You are God's holy temple. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, um, and we can go there later if you want. Each one of us is an individual temple, right? Paul says that Paul refers uh, us to, uh, as the individual temple there, but here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he's referring to the whole body, the whole, the whole body of Christ collectively as God's temple, right? He's trying to pour into us this idea of church unity and how important it is for us to be together, to be united. So now do you understand why church unity is essential? Uh, Paul refers to all of us as the community of believers as God's temple. Man, man, what an honor that he would take a bunch of low-down, dirty, dirty sinners like us and bring him, bring us into the fellowship of his of his perfect grace, right? Amen. Amen. And so how, how is it that you become the temple of the living Lord? You know it. Man, you weren't always saved. But on the day he called you out of darkness, right? You heard his call. Amen. You heard his call and you declared openly, Lord, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated unto thee, Lord. I believe that you were raised from the dead. From that day forward, from that day forward, you received that legacy. What is that legacy? The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity took up residence in you. Amen. You excited? I'm excited. Took up residence inside of you. God is now tabernacling with you with you and it's only temporary because when we when we are are raised with christ we'll be completely full we'll be completely complete we won't need the holy spirit but for now we have the comforter to guide and, di and direct us but it wasn't all that always that way i don't know did you guys go through the book of exodus yet not not yet okay some of you will, know, will remember this, but um, in Moses' day, in the book of Exodus, um, we, we, in a, I, I didn't put a picture of the tabernacle up there, uh, but God reveals to Moses basically a long list of instructions. Like they were, I don't know if we have any architects or any, anybody like that up in here, but man, God's instructions were to the T. Like he had a workflow, he had diagrams, he had everything laid out for this tabernacle that he wanted Moses to build, okay? And so the detailed plans were there. And he said, basically, anybody who, were, who was skilled in woodwork and, and jewels and gold and anything else, have them come together and build me this sanctuary and tell them that I need these specific things. Now, listen to this. Man, listen to all this list of all this beautiful stuff that was in this tabernacle. Okay, You're, I'm going somewhere. I'm going somewhere because all this stuff was the, for the building of the tabernacle. But you are the tabernacle. But listen to all this stuff, right? And you're going to feel like, man, I don't, I don't compare to all this stuff. Gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple scarlet yarns, fine twine linens, goat and ram skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, sweet incense and onyx stones. And I don't think I even read all the list. There's more. Man, a very, very exhaustive list of all the things that are necessary to the building of this tabernacle. So what? So that God can dwell in fellowship with his people. Okay. But see, there was a slight problem. 
for them. Not for you and me, but for them. God's presence dwelled only in the Holy of Holies. See, the tabernacle was cut off in the sections, and I wish I would have put a picture up there. So only the priest, the high Levitical priest, could go in there and worship with the living God, but you and I had to be on the outside. I remember, man, when I was a kid, and a friend of mine would say, hey, you want to come over and see if, you, if my mom, if you could stay the night? I'm like, sure. And I, I know you guys have gone through this, but I remember like going to the door, thinking I was going to get in, and they'd be like, hold on, wait, wait, wait at the door. Let me ask my mom. So you were like, dang, I can't even come into the house. And so you were at the door and you kind of were like all sad, face pressed up against the glass. And you're like, oh man, I wonder what's going on in there. And you can see like your friend asking the mom, the mom turned around, what you, what you mean? And you're like, oh man, this is not going, this is not going great. This is, I'm gonna have to go home. There's not gonna be any stay of the night. But man, I wish I could be invited in the house where all I could do was look in. Man, all I could do is wish I can be a part of what the mix was going behind that door. You see, in the tabernacle, those who are on the outside knew that God was in there somewhere, but they had no access to him, which is very sad. Do you see the beauty of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ? The veil that separated us from God has been torn by two, torn into by the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So we are no longer on the outer court. We are no longer on the opposite side of the veil. But hallelujah, God has invited us into his presence and now dwells in us right through his son as his holy temple. So the sanctuary is no longer required. We are the holy sanctuary. Why would God want to dwell in me when he had like the acacia wood and, 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 the, and the fine twine linens? Like, like, man, that sanctuary was laced in gold. It had everything, like the oil for the lamps, the spices, the anointing oil. Man, why would he want us we're broken, we're, we're contrite, we got nothing to offer. Why? Man, don't miss the beauty of what your Jesus has done, right? Jesus went to the cross and saved you from your sins. In doing so, in doing so, he took your sin debt and there was a mighty transfer of his righteousness his holiness, right? It has been transferred onto you. So now you've been made more beautiful than acacia wood. Man, I feel the Holy Spirit. Man, man, you've been made, you've been made more beautiful. You've been, you've been made uh, 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 well over any of the things that were brought into the sanctuary. You are more beautiful than, to God than anything they could ever build. That's why Paul is saying, man, dude, man, do you not know? Do you not know who you are in Christ? It's a matter of identity. You've been made holy because of this rich legacy that you have. That the same spirit, Jason, the same spirit that was integral, that was hovering over the waters, that shaped the world, brother, is living on the inside of you, man. Isn't that awesome, Jason? You got that. You got that. Man, how profound. We don't deserve any of it. But because of God's grace, in his mercy, in his kindness, and his long suffering to put up with us when we weren't, when we didn't get our stuff together. Man, we received this rich inheritance 
through the blood of Jesus, man. So not only did we receive this legacy, but God is going to protect it, right? And we get into the other part. What do we do if anyone tries to destroy the church? Something I don't want to do, confront, confront. So Paul says in verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And then he issues a stark warning in verse 17. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Let me read that again, y'all. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Man, dang, I got to preach this. Now, in verse 15, um, I'm not going to have you go there, but Paul is basically saying about our, our inheritance that we will receive as believers when we, are, when we are raised with Christ. That though we may do shoddy work in the foundation that we build on top of Christ that he's already laid, we will still be saved, right? Then why is Paul saying in verse 17 that we, we will now be destroyed? Well, I'm confused. So let me clear that up for you. Paul's addressing the entire church. He wants to make sure that those who are responsible for sowing discord know that God knows. God knows. He knows everything, right? He cuts down through the marrow, through the cartilage to see the heart. And he don't take kindly to it either. See, God don't play no mess when it comes to, to somebody messing up the temple. To God is holy, and wherever his spirit dwells is, not, is sacred and holy ground. It is not to be defiled. You remember when Moses approached the burning bush? And, and God said, do not come any closer, Moses. Take off your sandals for the place God dwells is holy ground. So therefore, therefore, we got to honor God's temple. We must approach his temple with reverence and respect. We got to take good care of God's temple. And you, my friends, as the body of Christ collectively, is that temple. You are that, that holy ground, not because of your righteous works, but by the work of Jesus Christ and the righteousness he, he transferred to you. But, some, but here's something you need to be cautious of, not afraid of, but cautious of because of the war of the gospels, the war of the gospels. There is going to be people, and, I'm, and I'm, I hate to even say this, but man, we, we are called to herald the word and to not shy away from even hard things. But there are going to be people in the church whose work is to destroy the church. Man, that's sobering, isn't it? Oof, oof. Brothers and sisters, there's going to be people you raise holy hands with, you do life group with, you do the Porter Brook with, you do the, the Welcome to Gospel Community class with, who, who at the moment smell like you, look like you, do what you do. But man, their hearts are far from God. And I feel bad even saying that. And that's, that's what the Corinthian church experienced too. I'm positive there was a, a sweet time of enjoyment where they would fellowship together and do life together, like had great discussions about the Lord and grew more in their faith together. But now, but now some of those things are starting to sprout, right? Right where there are people in the church sowing discord, seeds of discord. And if they don't stop what God said he will do, he will destroy he will destroy. 
And the first story that I thought about is the story of the wheat and the tares when I read that. I don't know if that's what, what comes to your mind, but it comes to my mind. Can we go there real quick? Matthew chapter 13, verse 20, 24. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24. The story of the parable of the wheat and the tares. Okay, the wheat and the tares. The tares are, um, are weeds, weeds. So in the parable of the weeds among the wheat, Jesus tells his disciples that the kingdom of heaven is compared, is compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. I don't know if any of you farm. I don't. So if I get something wrong, don't be mad at me, okay? <laughs> but any good farmer knows that there's some things that need to be done before the seed hits the ground, right? There's some routine things that needs to happen. So there's plowing, right, to clean the field, to get all the weeds up. There's machinery that turns the ground over. Am I doing okay so far? All right, there's machinery that turns the ground over, smooth out all the rocky places so that when the farmer sows the seed, it takes root into the ground and it bears fruit in the season. And so likewise, brothers and sisters, right? Jason, Jody, elders of this church, man, you built a beautiful place. Well, the Lord has, but you are stewards over this thing, right? You have done great work here in the building upon the foundation that was, that was already laid by Jesus, right? You facilitated the, the, the gospel community uh, uh, classes. You've, you've come alongside people and answering their questions about theology, and you're, you're doing these, these wonderful foster uh, care classes and everything, right? You love the people. While they were struggling, you helped strengthen them in the Lord. You watched their babies in the nursery so that they could come and worship and hear the gospel. You've done great work here in equipping the saints over the past five, six years. But in chapter, in verses 25, Jesus tells his disciples, but while everybody was sleeping, an enemy came in and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So we know we sow gospel, gospel seed. We sow gospel seed and then we harvest and then we nurture, building upon Christ's foundation as the chief cornerstone. But guess what? In one night, in one night, the enemy came in and sowed discord and confusion. And the funny thing, the funny thing about wheat and weeds is you cannot tell them apart until they mature, until they grow, they grow up. Only then can you spot the difference. And so the, the servants were frantic. They're like, oh, Lord, oh, my gosh, uh, Master, um, did you not sow good seed in your fields? Where then did these weeds come from? The master told them the enemy, the enemy came in, he did it. So the servants asked, do you want us to go out into the field and gather all the weeds? And the master said, no, don't, don't do that. Because if you do that, you'll also uproot the wheat. Verse 30, let them grow together. Let them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, the reapers will come, collect the weeds, bind them, and then burn them. God will protect his church. He will protect his church. And there's going to be a day where we're going to have to answer to him for the building of it or the tearing down of it. Every once in a while, um, when I'm looking on Facebook, which I shouldn't, um, 
I get like lulled into watching these nature videos. And I love watching wildebeest. Like I, I like watching thousands of them because when they move, like they move in sync and they're running. It's like, anybody in here know Jerome Bettis? Okay, wildebeest, like I, every time I see a wildebeest, I think of Jerome Bettis because he's, <laughs> he's so like thick, but it's like a thousand Jerome Bettis is running through the field. Um, but I love it when like one of the wildebeest, like they go to the edge of the water and they're like getting ready and they're like, man, something, something just don't feel right. And they're like, uh, nah, I can't do it. I can't do it. But then you got something like, oh, I don't see no problem. And they go on over and they put their mouth down. As soon as they put their mouth down, they think everything's all right. And that's when an alligator or crocodile comes out of nowhere and pulls them into the water. You see, likewise, we need to be able to discern and see clearly the danger signs, right? And flee, and flee from those who seek to divide the church, or at least confront them. Say something, right? Because we are the temple of God. We are responsible for protecting this legacy that we have in Jesus by either confronting false teaching when it arises in the church, among our friends, among our family, or among our little tribal groups. But confronting each other is not something we want to do. It's hard. Right? We don't want to offend or risk people leaving the church. So what do we do? We sit on the sideline. We don't say anything. But there's a right way to do it. We need to be able to confront them in a spirit of gentleness and kindness to show them their sin in hopes that they will see it come back to the cross, that they may see their sin and repent from it. So not only do we receive this legacy in the form of the Holy Spirit, not only will God protect that rich legacy, but because of we, that we have this third person of the Trinity, right, we receive wisdom. And that's the third point. We receive wisdom. Paul returns to this theme of the wise and foolish in verse 18. He says, do not deceive yourselves. If you think that you are wise in this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. How do we unlock this, this wisdom that we receive through Christ? We must not deceive ourselves into thinking we are more than we are. We must not deceive ourselves into thinking we are more than we are. The word deceive means to mislead. It means to actually walk out of the truth and walk into error. It's common for us as fallen, depraved human beings to be deceived. You might be able to tell a mile away when someone else is being deceived, but when it's you deceiving you, man, that's hard. That's hard. Because we always think we're right, even when we're wrong. But due to the depravity of our situations as human beings, born into sin, we are constantly pursuing the wrong things. Right? We're constantly um, prone to heading in a direction that's contrary to God. God says, go right. What do we do? We go left. <laughs> God says, keep your mouth, mouth shut. Don't say nothing. What do we do? We say something to get in trouble. God says, keep your eyes and focus on me. What do we do? We put our eyes on man. We're constantly walking out of the truth and walking into error constantly. And you want to know the, the deceiving part of it all? In our pride, even though we know we're wrong, we hunker down and believe we're right. And we're not praying for wisdom. We're not praying for guidance. We're not seeking the Lord's face. We're, we're content to navigate through this world in total, complete darkness, blind, hoping that it'll all work out somehow in the end. 
So not only do we deceive ourselves through blind wisdom, it's how we think of ourselves that has the power to deceive. In other words, we think we're all that in a bag of chips. Mankind has done some incredible things. You guys have done some incredible things, right? You built families. Some of you have businesses. Some of you have built homes. Some of you have built a life for yourself, have have gone through college and have bachelor's and master's degrees and have done awesome things. But the more we create, the more we earn, the more prideful we get about our achievements. We think we're really big stuff, right? We exalt ourselves um, instead of crediting God who gave us all the knowledge who gave us all this talent and gifts to be able to do the things we do. So what is it going to take to set things right here, right? How can I access this wisdom that was given to me through this legacy of the Holy Spirit? Verse 18 is very countercultural. Look at it with me. Verse 18, we must become a fool so that we may be wise. We must become a fool so that we may be wise. What in the heck does that mean? The Greek word for fool is moros. Okay, you already see where I'm going with this. It's where we get the word moron. Okay, moron. If you want to be wise... Verse 18 says that you need to become a moron, which is very countercultural to the way the world sees it. We have to be okay with doing and believing in the things of God that the world sees as foolishness. You have to be okay with going the complete opposite way that the world expects you to go, that your tribes expect you to go, that your select groups, your homies, your brothers, your sisters expect you to go. Now, isn't the Bible full of counterculturalisms, right? To be first, you have to be what? Last. To be filled, you have to do what? Empty yourself. To receive Christ's strength, you have to become what? Weak. To be wise, you have to be okay in being made the fool, even if the world sees you as such. That's how you receive and unlock that wisdom. And when you realize that your total and complete dependency hinges on God as the giver of blessing, as your source and truth, as your sole provider, that every spiritual gift and talent that you have comes through the power of the Holy Spirit, therein is that wisdom. And so then in verse 19... Paul says, for it is written, for it is written. So whenever you see for it is written, you know Paul's about to bring something from the past. He's about to bring something from the Old Testament to make his point, right? So here he sandwiches two verses together. The first part of verse 19 is from Job chapter 5, verse 13. And the second part is from Psalm chapter 94, verse 11. He catches the wise in their craftiness. That's from Job chapter 5, verse 13. Kind of gives, gives us this imagery of a hunter and its prey. The word catches means that, that he seizes, he catches, he, he grasps by hand, he lays hold of you. The prey is going about its business, doing its daily functions, and is completely unaware that it's about to be trapped, right? That's the imagery that comes to mind. And so when we're sowing discord in the church, we're never going to get away with it. Verse 
Verse 20, which, which quotes Psalm 9411 says, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile, that they are futile. The Lord knows everything about you. He knows every strand of hair on your head, which in my case is none, because he, because he created us. There's, there's nowhere you can hide, right? Though the wisdom of God is hidden from us, right? We aren't hidden from God. So not only do we receive this legacy, and I'm going into my fourth point, not only do we receive this legacy of the Holy Spirit, God will protect it, right? Through the power and the work of, of, of the Lord, we receive wisdom, but we also receive possessions, possessions. Paul in verse 21 says, so let no one boast, let no one boast about human leaders. Other translations say, let no man glory in men. Paul is not saying uh, that, it, that it's wrong to boast or brag about your children. Okay, my daughter Rosie really wants to go to Harvard or Stanford. And so we believe she'll get, she'll go to any school. We believe that if she doesn't even, you know, she doesn't get in, it's okay. It's okay. We still love her. She's still an awesome child. But man, if she gets into Harvard or, or Stanford, man, I'm gonna brag on my girl. You're gonna hear, you're gonna hear about it. But that's not what Paul's saying here. Paul is telling us that we need to stop putting our faith and our trust in fallen men. Because guess what? These people that we put our faith and trust in, they rely on God's grace just as much as you and I do. They are just as fallen as, as we are. They, they are also seeking wisdom just like, just like we are. So why do we go to the created when we can go to the creation, to, to the one who creates all? So if you remember, we're either going to do one of three things. We're either going to follow the gospel of Christ, we're going to follow the gospel of the world, or we're going to mix the two together, right? And we're going to create our own version of the gospel. So the danger of focusing on human leaders as the source of your truth could result in the mixing of gospels. You're going to see it the way they see it. Right, things are thing, things are, you're going to agree to certain things that they that they agree to, and so um, when we focus on on fallen individuals as the source of truth, we essentially follow their gospel. And so you'll come to church on Sunday, you'll listen to the gospel message, and then you'll go home on Monday and listen to another gospel. Right, the world. And it's constantly fighting for our attention, right? They say all the right things. I agree with most of what they're saying, right? They're quoting Bible scriptures, so it must be okay. But in the end, we end up more confused with all the noise that's trying to convolute our understanding of the true message. Let's look at verse 21 again. So let no one boast about human leaders for all things are yours. All things are yours. Verse 22, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, Cephas is Peter, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all belong to you. Man, this is not a, a health, wealth, prosperity message, right? This is the message of Jesus Christ, the one in charge of all things, who is equipping Paul and Apollos and giving them this ministry for the Corinthian church. God did not give you Jason and the elders to lord over you, right? Or to domineer over you, right? They, they have been given here to serve you. They belong to you. Usually, 
on either Monday or Tuesday, I, I drive into Greenville Grace to do a podcast with Danny, um, Danny Wright, the, the pastor there. And um, we have a podcast called Driving at Home. Like Danny loves car stuff. I'm not very big in the car, but he loves it, so I like it. But podcast Italy, we will go out to a Mexican restaurant. And this dish I love called nachos texarcanos. Okay. These nachos, brothers and sisters, man, got everything on it. It has steak, shrimp, and chicken. And it's like palate high, it's beautiful. But man, I, I say, I always ask, can, can you swap out the steak for ground beef? And they look at me weird, like, like I'm foreign or from, a, from another world. Like, dude, you're really going to swap out succulent steak for, gra for ground beef? Like, that, that's like preferring um, Scottie Pippen over, over, over Michael Jordan. Like, that's like preferring LeBron over, over uh, um, who's the, the player who used to play for the Lakers? Kobe. That's like preferring um, Tito from the Jackson 5 over Michael Jackson. Like nobody, nobody selects ground beef over steak. But you see, when we attach ourselves to human leaders and we put our faith and our trust in them, you're selecting ground beef over steak. God is the steak. And that's what the Corinthians were doing. They're putting their, their faith and trust in the created instead of the creator who is sovereign over it all, who was perfect, merciful, and just. Paul then in verse 23 wraps up this chapter by saying these last words. He says, and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to to God. You belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Now, you didn't have the, the privilege of reading the chapter one, but Paul is kind of being funny here. He's, he's, he's turning their sloganeering against themselves because they were saying, I belong to Paul. Well, I belong to Apollos. Well, I belong to Peter, right? And so he's saying, you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. You belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. It's a matter of, of possession, right? You, you don't have rights over yourself anymore. On the day that Jesus called you by name, right, and brought you out of, of darkness and revealed to you your sin, and that you repented, right, of your sins, and you put your faith and total trust in him. On that day, if you remember, you belonged to Jesus, you, you, you basically wrote over your rights to yourself. He purchased you with his own blood. You are now God's possession. You are not your own. Right? You've, been, you've been bought for and paid for at a, at, a, at a price that you cannot pay. So therefore, in all that we do, whether we drink, whether we eat, Right, we're doing it to the glory of the Lord, but we're also guarding this rich legacy, this inheritance that we receive through Christ in the building of his temple. And let us, let us, not, let us not glory in ourselves, but glory in him, the one who has invited us uh, into this communion that, that, that God the Father, uh, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit share with one another. We are no longer brothers and sisters on the outer courts. We are no longer looking in like a sad child, looking in, wanting to be part of it. But man, we've been invited in now, inside, on the other side of the door, where we get to experience this rich love of the Father where we get to worship with him all day, every day, all day, every day.
And because you have Jesus, everything you have that he has is yours. You want for nothing. Man, you don't have to claw. You don't have to scratch. You don't have to pull. You don't have to tug for nothing because all is yours. And you are complete through Jesus Christ. So before I close, let's kind of wrap this all together. Why is it so important that we get the junk out the temple? That we get the junk out of the temple? Because God is holy. And wherever he dwells, which is in you, is holy. Is holy. That's who we are now. That's, that's our new identity. We're not this. We're not that. We're not here. We're not there. Our new identity is in Christ. So there, there, there's no need for us to get involved in arguments, right, and petty differences that is really secondary to the gospel. There, there's no need for us to put our, our faith and our trust in human leaders in hopes that they're going to advance our agenda. Because guess what? It doesn't work out like that anyway. And guess what? Everything is already yours. You, the believer, possess all things because you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. And so in a year or two, when the sloganeering starts to happen, y'all can already sense it. When there is a competition going on for your attention, when people are being put in office, when there's new presidents getting elected, right? There's going to be a temptation to tribal up, to group up, to, to get with your homies. <laughs> right? I hope, I, I'm, I hope I'm helping somebody up in the air. And the world is going to expect you to, to respond. Your homies are going to be, be like this. Uh, you were with us last year. You, you coming with this year? But you belong to Christ. That's your new identity. So what are you going to do? when that comes for you, when the sloganeering starts to happen, when the click starts to click up, what are you going to do? Are you going to become wise according to this age, to the world? Or are you willing to become a fool in the eyes of the world so that you may become wise? The answer to that question lives in a rich legacy on the inside of you. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your focus on him as the author and the perfecter of our faith. Can we pray? Oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth that even, even babies can visibly see and acknowledge the work of your hands. Lord, we confess uh, that we sin against you constantly. We're weak, Lord. We're, we're prone to repeatedly uh, putting our faith and trust in human leaders instead of, instead of looking to you as our source of truth. Lord, help us, Lord, to be countercultural. Help us, Lord, to go against the grain, even when we're called out by the world as being fools in their eyes. Lord, and as we enter into that work, help us, Lord, not to grow weary and that we see it through to the end. And we're going to mess up because we're fallen humans. And Lord, when we, when we mess up, thanks be to God 
the Father who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the sacrifice and the atonement for our failures, that he is there, Lord. So, Lord, we are asking and we are seeking, and we will rest in the fact that it is you, O Lord, who is doing the work in us. We ask all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.